0: it's great to be with you this morning. It's great to sing with you this morning, and now we get to study God's Word together this morning. So would you take your Bible and open up to Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. The Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible with you, words will be on the screen, or you can follow along. There's a paperback copy in the seat pocket in front of you. Take that. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. So you can certainly take that home with you. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to land in just a few minutes, but let me kind of set up what we're going to read by a little bit of a personal story. Uh, we, we hope and uh, believe and want church to be a place that we can all be open and transparent and, and vulnerable with our weaknesses and our failures, right? We all want that, sort of, right? So I, I, for the last couple of years as I've preached and been able to be here, I, I've been very open and transparent about my personal struggle with gardening. (laughs) I struggle with gardening. You thought it was going to be something. No, gardening. Everything I put in the ground dies. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, right. There we go. So I recently had a, a patch of ground that we had done a little bit of work at my house, and we wanted it to be nice grass, not just the kind of grass that comes up by itself, but it kind of looked kind of pleasant and all that, and Really the reason my wife said, you better get out there and plant some grass. So anyway, we wanted it to be nice. So I knew my challenge with gardening. I thought, how can I get grass to grow? So I went to Lowe's and I found what I thought to be the answer. At Lowe's, they had a a new kind of grass seed and it was called easy seed. (laughs) So I thought, man, that's for me, easy seed. And right under it, it said this grows anywhere guaranteed. I thought, man, I'm in. It's going to be exactly what guys like me who are gardening challenged need. So, you know, I went out and I got my grass or got the ground ready. And I went out and I just started to sow the seed. I just threw that seed all over this big patch of ground and, you know, watered it and do the things you do. And, and then just, you know, trusted grows anywhere. So I, easy seed it's going to get it done. So, you know, a couple of days, I don't know, 10 days, something like that, I went back out. and uh, Actually, even today, I, I took a couple of pictures of my of my work and brought them in here with you so you know I'm, I'm not making this up. So one patch of ground there that I sowed seed on, I took a picture of it, and here it is. I thought you might want to see it. Yeah, I, you're thinking, yeah, I don't see a lot of grass there. I don't see a lot of grass there either because there's not any. Easy seed lied, all right. And man, I had sown seed on these different spots and I'd thrown it down and it just kind of fell on this ground and it just laid there, the seed. And pretty soon the birds came and enjoyed a great appetizer of easy seed. They just love it. They, they carried all the seed away. And then there was another area where I grew or threw seed and, and there it is. And if you don't know what that is, ladies and gentlemen, that is a big old weed. <laughs> I'm good at growing weeds, Right? And I noticed right around the area where the weeds were just thriving, there wasn't a lot of grass. These weeds, it it looked like it just choked the life right out of that seed. And just so you won't feel totally sorry for me, I, I took an area of another patch right there together where I'd sown easy seed, grows anywhere, anytime, and I took a picture of that. So go ahead and show it. Look at that. That's grass growing That's my picture there. taking it so you know it's authentic. That's me. That's my shadow. Now, what in the world? Why? Well, the reason is, as I looked at this, it occurred to me, a question came to my mind. It was this. How could the same seed thrown in the same general area yield such different results? How is that possible? If you're a gardener, you know some of the reasons why, but... As we come to Matthew chapter thirteen, Jesus is telling a story about seed. He's telling a story about a guy who went out to sow seed, and he had very different results from the same seed he threw out. And I want to pick up in that story there, and first read it to you, and then we're going to walk through some application in our own life as we as we continue in our story series. We started months ago in Genesis. We're going to wrap up around Christmas in the book of Revelation, and today we. We continue to walk with Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, and He's speaking to a pretty large group of people. And He begins to tell what's called a parable. If you've grown up in church, you may have heard that word. If not, a parable is specifically kind of an earthly story, like seed, that we can all get our minds around, but there's a much greater meaning to the story. There's really a heavenly meaning that Jesus has to explain to us or you don't, you don't get it. So he's talking to these crowds and he teaches them in a parable. And it begins verse 1 of Matthew 13, says this, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. and Large crowds were gathering to him. So all these people were gathering around him. And he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing beside the beach. There were so many people pressing in on him. he, He gets in a boat so he can kind of float away a little bit, still be able to speak to the crowd, but have a little space. So from this boat, he's speaking back to shore. He says this, Behold, a sower, farmer, if you will, went out to sow. Doesn't tell us anything about the sower. Just says a sower. He goes out to do what sowers do. He went out to sow. So he goes out to sow his seed, and the story continues on in verse 4, and as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road. In that day, areas that they would farm in their gardens, there were footpaths that would go all the way around the edge, and there were footpaths that would go through the middle, and that's how people transversed that day. There wasn't highways that we would have today. There were footpaths, and often these footpaths would go right through the middle of gardens or right through the middle of areas they were trying to sow. So when he says row, that's what he's talking about. So farmer would throw some seed. It would fall on this footpath. Here's what would happen. The birds of the air would come and eat it up. Verse 5, he said, Others fell on rocky places where there didn't have much soil, and immediately the seed would spring up, but, but, but it had no depth of soil. In other words, in that day, there would be some places there would be a thin layer of topsoil, but right under that topsoil would be hard granite or limestone, or something like that. So the, the seed would go in, the root would go, it'd shoot down, and it would hit hard granite, and it, and it couldn't continue. So that same energy would then go upward, and it would spring out really quick. And farmers, in fact, in that day, would look at this particular phenomenon, and they would think, man, this is going to be the bumper harvest, the greatest harvest we've ever had. But then in a few days, they would come back, and Jesus said, verse 6, but when the sun had risen... They were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. So that seed would, would spring up and it would look like a bumper harvest, but in a few days later it would be dead, be gone. He says, other seed that this sower sowed, it, it fell among thorns and weeds, kind of like you saw in my little garden. And the thorns would come up and choke them out. So just like you've seen in your yard maybe where those thorns and those weeds are, it just chokes all the life that's around it. The root of a weed goes much deeper. It just zaps the energy of everything around it. Verse 8, and then he said, Others fell on good soil and yielded a good crop, some a hundredfold. That's phenomenal yield if you know anything about farming. A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. This farmer would sow and sometimes it would just give a bumper harvest and fruitful field. And then Jesus makes this statement, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Meaning, I'm telling you a whole lot more than just gardening and farming and seed is what Jesus was saying. If you have ears to hear, listen to what I'm saying. So there's something, a whole lot more going on in this story as Jesus talks to the crowd and then just a gardening lesson. And for us to understand it, again, this is one of those pretty familiar parables that maybe a lot of you have heard before, but incredibly applicable to every person in this room this morning. Jesus, why do you tell this story here? What's the context of you telling this? Well, let me back up a little bit and tell you, as Jesus tells this story, he's been carrying out His public ministry now for about a year and a half, something like that. So Jesus has been publicly going throughout Galilee and going throughout Cana and Judea and that area, and He's been saying some incredible things. Kingdom truth. He's been doing, I mean, some amazing things that you didn't see every day. So these people that were there, many of the people in this crowd had heard and seen the message of Jesus for months and months and months and months and months. They'd been exposed to a lot of truth. For example, leading up to this story in Matthew, I'll just give you a couple examples. Some of the things Jesus did. Matthew chapter 8, if you'd been around in those days, maybe even a lot of people in this crowd, Matthew chapter 8, a leper comes up to Jesus. In those days, a leper was a guy that had this hideous skin disease that ultimately was fatal. It was Highly contagious, the last thing you did was touch a leper. In fact, anybody in that area, lepers were put in their own colonies. Lepers had to walk through the town going unclean, 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 and nobody could get around them. Nobody touched a leper. The Bible says Jesus walks up to this leper, Matthew 8 3, and says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now watch this. If you'd been there and you'd seen Jesus reach out his hand and touch this leper, you'd go, What are you doing? Nobody touches a leper. By the way, this leper had probably not felt a human touch for years. Jesus touches this leper. So what, what happens? Verse 3. He says, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately. Can you imagine? And you had to watch something like that and go, this guy is not like everybody else. First, he touches lepers, which is bizarre and foolish. But then when he touches these guys, they're healed. This crowd had seen things like that for months. This crowd had seen things like Matthew 8, 13, where a Roman centurion runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, my servant is dying. You've got to do something. Now, the servant was miles and miles away. And and the the centurion says, listen, you don't even have to come there. Jesus, if you'll just speak the word. I believe he'll be healed. And Jesus said, go. When the centurion got there miles and miles away, guess what? His servant was completely healed and learned that he'd been healed the moment Jesus spoke it. Jesus had not even been there. And he had transformed a life. People in this crowd had seen things like this for months and months and months. They'd seen things like this. They'd heard things like this. Jesus, Matthew eight twenty six, He was out on the Sea of Galilee with His disciples. A storm comes on. They're in the boat. Jesus is asleep in the boat. You know this story. The disciples run down and say, Jesus, we're perishing. We're going to die. Jesus says, why don't you all just calm down? Right, walks up to the top, the sea's roaring, the waves are splashing. These guys are fishermen. They've never been in a storm like this. And here's what I wish I, as a parent, had the power to do. He goes up to, stands on the edge of the boat. The wind is waving, and he goes, shh. Silence. Didn't wish you had that power, parents. Right? Everything is calm. Creation itself heeds his beck and call. And you're there in that day. You've got to see these things and go, there is something about this guy. And you're exposed to the Son of God in your midst, revealing who He is. He said some crazy things. And He did just do crazy things. He did some phenomenal things. Matthew 5, He said things like this. You want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. What? And that day, those that were believed to inherit the kingdom of God were of Jewish ancestry and were really religious and had kept all the rules and were very proud that they had kept all the rules. And Jesus said, time out. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's for those who recognize their own poverty of spirit. That's where the kingdom works. To Nicodemus, a leader of that day, Jesus made a crazy statement. Nicodemus comes to him by night and says, Jesus, tell me about the kingdom. What's the kingdom of God like? How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And he said, hey, Nicodemus, you ready? Uh, you got to be born again. What? Nicodemus says, well, what do I have to do? Crawl back up in my mother's womb? What does that mean? Jesus is saying, no, don't you understand? It's not about external superficial realities. You must be transformed from the inside out. He says in John 7, there was a feast of the Jews going on where they carried all these water pots from the pool of Siloam and they would carry them into the temple and they would pour out all this water as a symbol of God's blessing on the nation. They have all these water pots. Well, John 7 says Jesus is just sitting there. He's kind of hanging out there Somebody walks by and Jesus, the Bible says he stood up and he began to scream. He says, hey, whoever believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You'll be transformed from the inside over and over and over. I'm giving you these little illustrations. If you were living in that day, you heard this stuff and you saw this stuff and you witnessed this stuff and it had multitude of different responses from different people. The disciples, for example, this ragtag group of fishermen, when they heard Jesus and they heard about the kingdom, we know they left everything and they dropped their nets and they left everything and said, we're going to follow you. We give you our life, man. We believe you are who you say you are. That was one kind of response. It was a story of a prostitute who had heard Jesus' message of forgiveness. And she was so overwhelmed that she could be forgiven. She came into His presence who just happened to be in a Pharisee's house. And the Bible says she opened up this jar of perfume and just poured it out on His feet and started washing His feet with her tears. She was so overwhelmed. Watch this. And the Pharisee, the religious leader, stood up and said, Jesus, if you knew who was washing your feet, you'd do something about it. And Jesus said, this woman is worshiping me because, listen, Pharisee, here's the way the kingdom works. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And she knows how much she's been forgiven. But you and your spiritual pride don't even recognize how depraved you are. That way you cannot even know the mercy and forgiveness of God. But she. They witnessed these things over and they saw these things. So, here in the same room, you have this Pharisee who is opposed to Jesus and this woman who's melting at his word and his presence. You see that over and over. The people of Nazareth, where Jesus was born. Matthew 13 says, when they were exposed to who he was and his words and what he did, verse 55 says, Is not this the carpenter's son? And they said, We know this guy. I went to school with his mama. I know him. Right? And now he's doing these things. I don't get it. He says, are these not his sisters? His mother? It says they took offense at him. The word offense means stumbling block. When they heard, when they saw, when they were confronted with Jesus and who he was, it's a picture as They stumbled over him. They were rejecting him. Different response. And then the Pharisees I mean, yeah, these are the religious elite of the day. They had the Old Testament portions of it memorized. When Jesus stepped into their world, they were so threatened by him, because their world had been this external transformation. Jesus walks up to him and says, "Hey, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but inside there's dead men's bones." And the Pharisees in Matthew 12, 14 says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against Him as how they might destroy Him. And What's the point? The point is I want you to feel and I want you to see the context by which or with which Jesus now steps in and begins to tell this story to that same crowd. They've seen incredible things. They've heard incredible truth from the mouth of, of God Himself with very different responses. And Jesus steps in and He tells this story. Tells this story about a guy who went out to sow seed. And the Bible says that as Jesus tells this story there to the crowd, He did something very weird. Now, Now hang with me. Jesus is going to help us understand why is it How is it in your life and my life and the lives of people we're ministering to, the lives of people around us, same message, same gospel, same Christ, very different responses. So Jesus to this crowd who had heard much, they had seen much, he tells the story of this farmer who went out to sow seed, and the seed fell on four different types. And then, when he's finished right there, what's this? Here's what Jesus does. If you read through Matthew 13, he tells the story, and then to that huge crowd, he does this. Ready? See you. <laughs> he leaves. No explanation. No interpretation. A little bit of time later, Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and the disciples like you and me. They're like, "Tell us what that thing means." That's what you have in verse 10. Jesus is with His disciples. His disciples came to Him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Paraphrase. What does this mean? Jesus answered them and says, To you, and watch this, to you it has been granted a gift of mercy, a gift of grace, a gift that God has granted to you that you what? know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them the crowd it has not been granted in other words i'm going to give you the privilege of explaining this and opening up divine truth translation also if you are here this morning and you are a believer a follower of christ you've been transformed you've been made new it is because god has granted it to you by his grace To the rest of the crowd who had heard and heard and heard and heard and rejected and rejected and rejected, he began to teach in parables. Why? Verse 13. Therefore, Jesus said, I speak to them, the crowd, in parables. Not to make the truth easier instead, because while seeing, they don't see. They've seen so much and yet they still don't see. They've heard so much and they still don't hear, nor do they understand. Their heart has only grown harder and harder and harder and harder. And now the truth that Jesus is holding out is becoming less easy to even understand and He begins to teach in parables. He pulls His disciples together. They and you and we now have the explanation of the story from Jesus himself. What are we going to do with it? Hang with me, verse 19. So he begins to explain it. Ready? It's a whole lot more than just a gardening analogy. Verse 19. Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. And he's not using the word seed anymore. He, he calls it the word of the kingdom, truth. And does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So now we're not talking about seed and soil. We're talking about truth and the human heart. That place of decision. Jesus is opening up for us as the one who knows your heart and my heart much better than I do of how it's possible for the same truth to fall on the same general group of people and elicit so many different responses. He's going to teach us and you about the human heart. Now, disclaimer, this is a tough passage. It's like Jesus gets down in there and tries to blow off all the fluff that we want to hold out sometimes. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knew the heart of the crowd. He tells this parable to reveal some incredibly important truth to you and me and them this morning. So he goes on, verse 20, he says, The one on whom the seed was sown on a rocky place, this is the man who hears the word. So now he calls it the word. This is the man on whom the word was sown. And immediately he receives it with joy. And yet has no firm root in himself, but is only, next word, temporary. Doesn't last. When affliction or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles or he falls away or what is not true becomes evident of what's not there. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 22, and then the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. What's that all about? He says, well, this is the man who hears the word, hears the truth, and the worries of the world, the the pressures, some translations say the anxieties, the, the pressures, the distractions that the world is constantly throwing at us. And The deceitfulness of wealth. That is a massively important statement that Jesus says here. The deceitfulness of wealth. Money in itself is not a bad thing at all, but it lies to you. And it lies to me. He says the deceitfulness of wealth chokes out the word that word chokes means literally to suffocate to take away the energy or the nourishment from chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful the seed sown and no fruit then jesus says verse 23 and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil this is the man who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit And brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Four different types of soil to illustrate four different types of responses in the human heart. What's the seed? God's truth, the gospel message, the message of the kingdom. To believers, the Word of God, how we receive the Word of God. To unbelievers, hearing Christ, knowing Christ, receiving Christ at all. Here's reality. Ready? Every single person in this room falls into one of those four categories. All of us. question for you and me this morning is, Lord, which of those am I? So, what I'm going to do in about 10 minutes that we have left is I'm going to outline these four types of heart. From the soil, these four different types of the human heart that Jesus is describing and how we often respond to Christ. Okay? Four different types. Number one, he says the first type of heart condition that we see is you could call it a hard heart. Verse 19. Remember, he said that's the heart that it's like that hard, stony ground. It's that footpath that's been walked on and treaded on. It's so hard. Or the sun has baked that ground and it's so hard and the seed falls and it can't penetrate down into that heart, if you will. And it just lays there. And he says the evil one comes and snatches it away. So that in an unbelieving heart, in in a hard heart, even the truth one thinks he might have in unbelief eventually will be taken away. Therefore, a hard heart always grows worse and worse and worse. So who's he talking about here? Well, the hardness of our heart, by the way, all of us, me included, come into this world in this condition with a hard heart. Resistant to the gospel. Often this hardness can continue because we're deceived in rebellion. This hardness can manifest itself as indifference. The people of Capernaum, where Jesus' headquarters were, they neither, they neither spoke against Christ or received Christ. Here's what they were. Eh. What's it matter? A hard heart can be indifferent. doesn't really matter. It's dangerous. The hard heart that Jesus refers to And illustrates more than any hard heart in the New Testament. He refers to a group of people known as stiff-necked, hard of heart, slow of hearing. And it is those who we would refer to as religious people. So exposed to the truth. So many opportunities. And in their pride and self-righteousness, believed they had it all together. Believed that they had accomplished enough. They trusted themselves, What's this, and they cleaned up the outside. And Jesus said, woe to you, whitewashed tombs, you're really full of dead men's bones. Religion, apart from Jesus, my self-effort, my trying harder, is a deceptive, heart-hardening pursuit. And it yields the heart unreceptive to who Christ is and to His Word. That may be some of you in this room. That may be where you find yourself that the Word of Christ and... The person of Christ and kingdom realities, you've been so exposed to them. You've heard them, maybe you've grown up around them. You're either indifferent to them or they have no impact on your life whatsoever. And Jesus knows that about you and me potentially. And He loves us enough to expose that here. There's a second kind of heart. He says a second kind of heart is what we'll call a superficial heart. And I think this is incredibly common, especially in our area too, that this was me for a long time. He says, this is the heart, verse 20. Remember, this is the seed that that falls into the ground. It's just a shallow layer of soil. That seed goes in and he says, immediately this person, I'm reading verse 20, hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. The word immediately means this sense of quick to respond, eagerness with joy. It appears they have great zeal great enthusiasm they're at every meeting they're on every ministry team that is just have all this excitement to the message of Christ in verse 21 Jesus very clearly says but or yet hold on hold on yet this person has no firm root in himself but is only temporary and when affliction or persecution arise because of the word, immediately, same word, immediately they spring up, immediately they fall away. Why? Jesus says because all they had was a superficial response. There was no death. It was not real. And Jesus said over time their enthusiasm waned. And when they faced persecution or they faced, watch this, paying a price for the sake of following Christ. They said, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. I wanted all the good stuff. Die to self? Count the cost? Turn from my, what are you talking, no man, I'm not in, no way. The Bible says they fell away. Now, the word temporary is very important theologically. Does that mean in the whole of Scripture that this person knew Christ and then no longer knew Christ? Absolutely not. That is in contrary to the understanding of the new birth. What it's saying is what this person had was superficial, it was temporary, it was only external, and time revealed what was really there or not there. We believe absolutely that when someone comes to know Christ and they are born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence and will never leave us nor forsake us. But it is possible to have merely a superficial relationship that's not real. And when the testing fires of difficulty or persecution arise, we say, man, I didn't sign up for this. Because maybe it just jumped on for the good stuff. Maybe it just followed for all the novelties of it. Maybe nobody said to you like Jesus said, hey, before you build this tower, you better count the cost. That's why we're very careful and we try not to in any way hold out superficial evangelism that says, hey, come, it's real, you know, all the good stuff. No, Jesus said, Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Count the cost. We are saved by faith in grace in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone but when that faith is placed in anything but Christ and Christ alone it is superficial and time will reveal that there's no genuine faith there at all okay so that's what's going on here that's the second kind third kind is this he says there's a third kind of heart you could call it the distracted heart this is the heart that hears and this is the heart Jesus said in verse 22 the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns the weeds And when the seed fell, the man hears and the worries of the world, the anxieties of the world, and the deceitfulness, circle that word, deceitfulness of wealth, literally choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. As I was doing this study, I learned and it helped me understand my gardening situation a little bit. The reason those weeds came up in my grass or in my dirt was not because there was anything wrong with the seed that I sowed. The taproot of those weeds that came up had been lying in that soil underground and I didn't know it was there. So when I watered and I gave all the attention to these seeds and the seeds were sown, the taproot of that weed began to spring up because it had been lying dormant under the surface. All of us have those roots of sin within us that the gospel Christ wants to weed out and exterminate from our lives. Christ is the only one that can do that. We will respond in faith and repentance and turn to Him and trust Him only. Sometimes our heart is unwilling, unwilling to trust Christ completely because we really, really love the world too. And he says the deceitfulness of riches. Now listen very carefully. Is there anything morally wrong with riches, money, wealth? No. No. But Jesus clearly says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. He says the person that tries to hold on to both, the the person that tries to give allegiance to both and rests and really depends on their money and wealth is not truly trusting Christ and Christ alone. And that's the heart that yields no fruit. You know the story? Young guy, successful, doing well in business, was a leader, comes to Jesus. We know Him as the rich young ruler. He says, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? I want to be your follower. I'm all in. I see what you're doing. These things are incredible. Can I be part of your team? And Jesus says, absolutely. But, before you do that, you need to go sell everything you have. Now, does selling your possessions make you a Christian? Not at all. Anything wrong with having possessions? Not at all. Jesus, knowing the man's heart, realized his allegiance was truly to his possessions. His God was truly his money. Until he forsook allegiance to that God, no way he could follow Christ. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful because he had much wealth. He couldn't let it go to give full allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. That's the person he's talking about. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. For a long time, that was me. For a long time, I was the superficial guy. I walked an aisle. I signed a card. I played the game. There was no genuine faith because my faith was not in Christ. It was in all the stuff. And time revealed that. And then finally, there's the soil. Jesus says it's the good soil. God is prepared. God's mercy has fallowed the ground. It's open, ready, and receptive. And this soil, this heart bears fruit hundredfold, sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Listen, do all true, genuine believers bear fruit in their lives? Yes. <laughs> to the same degree? No. Does it look the same? Does it manifest itself the same? No. But if Christ is in you, you will look different, be different, act different because you are different. And time will reveal that. The fruit Jesus describes as the fruit of repentance. The Gospel so confronts your life and Christ is so drawing you to Himself, you're willing to turn from those things. The fruit of life change. You don't act, think like you used to change, or think because Jesus is in you. The fruit of the Spirit, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness become increasingly part of your character. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is Jesus in you. Is that you? A guy after the first service came and he said, I heard that message and I've got to be honest, I've been struggling with whether or not I know Christ and have a true relationship. And, and, and when you started talking about the fruit, it's God confirmed that I do know Him because I look in my life right now and there's fruit and I see what He's doing in my life and He's changing my heart. Before that, I was just trusting in this decision. If I made it right or I did it right, what's Christ doing in your life now? Is the fruit, evident fruit of a genuine relationship with Christ? So, what do we do with this? Well, I'm going to give each of us an opportunity, trusting the Spirit of God to take His Word and press it down into our hearts. So, at this time, I'm going to ask David to come up and just to begin to play softly. And our time is not over at all. We're going to really move into something we call a response time. You're not responding to me. You're not responding to the person next to you. You're responding to what God may be stirring in your heart this morning. So I want everybody to listen carefully. Everyone in this room falls into one of those categories. Everyone. God knows exactly where you are. And maybe He's stirring in your heart right now. I'm not going to be manipulative. I'm not going to persuade you down an aisle. I'm not asking you to raise a hand, sign a card. But some of you here who you realize, my heart has been so hard. My heart has been so indifferent. And maybe this morning for the first time, the Spirit of God is penetrating that tough shell and you see Jesus for who He is and you want to know Christ. Here's the call of Christ. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be born again, will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Is that you? You look back and realize, what I've had has just been superficial. Fluff. Man, some short-lived emotional experience that... All I'm holding on to is some card I signed 30 years ago, but I see no transforming work in my life. Don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in a life-transforming Savior who changes us from the inside out. Some of you may be here and there's this struggle going on and you realize, man, the hooks of the world are in me. The, The deceitfulness of riches, they lie to you. We, as one of your pastors and your church family, we want you to know the joy of a fruitful Christ honoring life. Turn from that and receive Christ. There may be some of you who look at your life and you realize, I do see life change. God is bearing fruit. It's slow, but I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm not all God's going to make me yet, but there is progress and I celebrate the grace of God in my life. You may be here as a follower of Christ. You know Jesus, you're a disciple and you're sowing seeds into people's life. Here's the word, be encouraged. Sow the seed, man. Nothing deficient in this story about the seed. Nothing special about the sower. Sow the seed. And trust God to open and transform hearts. Sow the seed. I want to ask you to bow your head for just a moment, just you and the Lord right there. This morning, you realize you need a Savior. You need to know the living God and His transforming power right there in your seat. Right there, you and Him call out to Him in faith. Lord, I need You. Lord, forgive me for playing a game. Forgive me for trusting in anything but You. I, by faith, receive The gift of salvation, of eternal life made possible by your cross and resurrection. It is finished. I trust in you and you alone. Give Him your life. Surrender to Him.